This boy and girl are going to be well equipped when the time comes to take their places as worthy members of adult society. Hello, hi y'all. This is Daniel Eisenman, the host of the Breaking Normal podcast, where my guests are all invited based on the frequency of synchronicity, all done in person, and all trailblazers and the breaking of all things normal. Aloha and welcome to what? Like, is this like the 130th Breaking Normal podcast? Holy moly. Aaron Meshke, local super mom, freedom fighter. We talk about civil disobedience, silent protest, the food pyramid, the power of zoning out, raw milk freedom, not spending money in Boulder, pineapple cough syrup, bad bills, and bonds that you can leverage against elected officials so that they can stop their fascist communist mandates. How do you like that? So this is some valuable information where it's not just about complaining, but it's more about awareness of the issues, acceptance of what's going on, and then taking action to change them in an upgraded direction. And on that note, this podcast, I believe, is coming out on Valentine's Day. So happy Valentine's Day, everybody. And do I have a special announcement? I got a special announcement for y'all with Tribe Vitamins. Tribe Vitamins is like well over a year old now. Thousands of stoked customers. So happy. I'm not sure if it's over 2,000 or not when I say thousands, but we're well, I mean, we just had a doctor that put in a huge order. Um, and actually, our number one demographics of customers are probably doctors and moms and naturopaths and chiropractors. And what does that tell you? So right now, the bison liver is really working. You know, that people ask, what is the truth? I kind of lean towards the truth is what works. And it seems very adaptogenic, meaning that it helps people with their own issues that I think are mostly underlying with having low B vitamins or low iron, zinc, or copper, or low vitamin A. So it's like a nutritional assurance to hit any of those, uh, any of those gaps with the most bioavailable bio God's formula type of those. It's not like we're adding anything. These are bison organs, freeze-dried. And for Valentine's Day, we have a special, a super limited special micro batch called Heart On. So what better day to get your heart on than on Valentine's Day? And what that is, is a mix of 100% grass-fed bison testicles, raw freeze-dried, bison heart, raw freeze-dried, and bison liver, raw freeze-dried. 34% testicles, 33% liver, 33% heart. And let's just say if you're in the market of baby making or muscle making, I would highly recommend you getting this food that's been used as medicine well before there was ever pharmacies on these lands from a North America's biggest land mammal and the national animal, the American bison. I don't know if y'all have been around a bison and a cow, but if you are what you eat and organ meats are this powerful, don't you think we should probably be going with animals such as bison and elk that were indigenous to this land before humans were even here rather than the genetically modified cow? Anywho, some thoughts. And I'll tell you, I've been the bison testicles are, uh, I don't know if magical is the right word, but it does something to someone's essence and consciousness and the pheromones they give off. Um, let's just say if you are looking for a boost in testosterone, please don't do it the normal way through the pharmacy. Please give this a go first. So I would not take these every day, but I would save them for something special, like before a big workout or a big Valentine's Day date. 
Um, so they should be available to order on the website by Valentine's Day, and then we should be shipping them out within a week or two. The powder is already made. We just got to get them a capsule, slap those labels on the bottle, and celebrate all the inevitable testimonies that are for sure coming in. Um, we've had some people try different batches, prototypes of these, and it's pretty miraculous. I, I don't know how to uh, describe it in a PG level. So let's just say like, like brings attention to like. And I think a lot of people can improve their liver and heart health. And then the whole testicle thing is a whole nother conversation. So instead of me trying to describe an ice cream sundae with words, I think the best way to do it is to try it yourself. And uh, someone says, won't this reduce the bison population with taking their distance? It's a great question. Um, so basically, this is an economic situation. There are 100 million cows versus about 400,000 bison. And 92% of bison, from my understanding, are grain finished, meaning our supply is very limited. And we, uh, no animal has been killed for tri-vitamins. We're basically buying the byproducts of only the grass-fed suppliers in the country. And in reality, supply meets demand. So if we can demand more bison instead of only beef slash cows as a country or as a civilization, then obviously the economics will work out where the bison population will increase rather than decrease. It's really the ranchers who are perpetuating the population since the Europeans came over and isolated the bison with the indigenous people and almost made them extinct. So we went from like maybe a few hundred bison in the late, I mean, late 1800s, early 1900s, aka almost extinct, to now almost a half a million. And the mission of Tribe Vitamins is to bring more awareness to grass-fed bison, 100% grass-fed bison. And uh, we're doing it. Actually, there's been several companies that have popped up since Tribe Vitamins have started that are slinging bison organs as well. But we know, I, I mean, I know, the sort, I know the supply chain from scratch, from start to finished. And the finishing product is just getting so many testimonies. I feel like it would be remiss for me not to testify about all the things I hear. So if you want to check out some of those testimonies, you can go to TribeVitamins.com. You can check out the Tribe Vitamins Instagram page. And most importantly, you can try Tribe Vitamins. And I would highly suggest ordering a bottle of the Heart On on Valentine's Day before they get snagged. Because we have sold out of our previous... I mean, these testicle products work so well and they're so limited that uh, we basically sold out of every batch that we've created up to this point. And we have about 100, I think, in 30, 130 bottles or so available. Maybe 100. Depends on a few things. Um, and I think they're gonna be priced at $69. That's pretty punny, huh? Hard on $69 on Valentine's Day. Um, and, uh, there'll be 80 caps in each bottle. So it's kind of a smaller bottle because it's not meant to be used daily every month, like every day of the month. It's more used for those special occasions and the paradox is what's not special. So I'm so excited to hear from y'all like, when you get these in your body and see what gets lit up. And yeah, keep breaking normal. If y'all are enjoying these podcasts, please leave a review. Tell us what you want to hear more of or less of or what you want to see more of or see less of or anything that we can do to improve your experience of enjoying the Breaking Normal podcast. Because if we're catalyzing a state of enjoy for you, then I think we're doing something right, huh? All right, all right. I see lots of cool messages coming here. I'm actually doing this live, this intro live on Instagram. And I'm really excited for y'all to meet Aaron and be inspired to take action on what matters the most. Truly appreciate y'all. Any final questions on Instagram before we uh, 
head off to the next adventure. I just got out of the river with a previous podcast guest. I'm talking icy, icy river. Uh, Jennifer Juniper is called Keep Breaking Our Mullerias. Stop scratching that poor ear of yours. Anybody else have pit bulls with ear problems? Anywho, much love to y'all. Um, and we're going to keep doing it. We're going to keep breaking normal culture because culture like water is supposed to stay in movement in a state of change. The issue is when someone tries to hoard it or keep it stagnant or pretend they own it. No, no. Let's glow with the flow of life, baby. Grow with the flow of culture that's always changing. That's the one truth. Keep doing it, y'all. Much love. Aloha, y'all. I'm three for three. This is the third podcast three days. I did. I interviewed my friend Mason from Australia, who's like a Taoist herbalist who has a dietary supplement company called Superfeast, mm-hmm. where they sell antler extract, which I'm interested in. Wow. And then yesterday, a medical doctor from Los Angeles, who's also more like an Ayurvedic medical doctor that had to create his own practice with the chaos that's going on there. Mm-hmm. And now you, Aaron Meshke. Yes. And we're here in Boulder. Uh, the snow's coming down. It's beautiful. <laughs> Thanks for joining. Yeah. Um, we met down the road at what I guess what you would call a freedom meeting for local business owners. Yeah. And I was there and I uh, shared about tribe vitamins. And then it turns out you knew all about eating liver. Yeah. Is that seems to be part of your part of one of the paths of your life that I would love to talk more about. It's like a very Weston Price yep. influenced super mom of four kids. At one point you were mentioning you had four kids under four. Yeah. I mean, when they were, when my youngest was born, my oldest was not yet five. So I did have four kids, four and under four a couple months, but and now they range from 20 to 20 to 15. So it's wow. just, just crossed over the threshold where I can no longer say I have four teenagers because I have for the last few years had four teenagers. Um, but yes, my oldest is now 20. When, when was his birthday? Her birthday, her, my her. oldest, um, she just turned 20 in November. Okay, nice. Wow. Yeah, that's a big deal right there. We've had a few parents. We I interviewed uh, another local friend that's very into freedom. Uh-huh. That's, that's what we're going to coin it. Yeah. Um, who has five kids. Uh-huh. And uh, it's not easy for him to get away. Yeah. Um, so props to you. You well, seem like you got little, your... They're all a little older right now. Yeah. So my, old, my oldest three are... Uh, my oldest two are graduated. My oldest three are working part-time to full-time at different jobs. My youngest is homeschooling, but he's 15, so um, I can leave the house. It's not like I have to have a babysitter anymore. Homeschooling. That's something I would, I would like to talk about, to, about schooling with you. <laughs> <laughs> and um, But yeah, it's, I'm also interested in like your consumption of organ meats and the ancestral way of feeding your family. Yeah. And very much into talking about the Boulder stand up. The Boulder people are standing up for freedom in Boulder. Yeah, um, because you seem to be on the front lines of that. And am I? I've been very impressed and inspired how you're able to articulate what's going on in a way where people can take action. Yeah. Rather than just be uh, confused. Yeah. Well, I guess the I grew up with the philosophy being told to me by my, by my parents that. Um, you can't just complain. You have to have a solution. So if there's going to be an issue, you need to figure out a way that you can institute change um, or you need to shut up about it. I mean, like to just continually complain about it, it's not going to accomplish anything. So, so what, um, as, a, as a parent, 
and Boulder County, which seems to be on, I would say, some reason really standing up for like the communistic <laughs> agenda. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know why, but here which we are. Which is 180 degrees different than, so we originally, we were in Colorado um, when we graduated from college. All four of our kids were born here, and then we moved to the West Coast, to Portland and San Jose for a total of almost 13 years. And when we left, Boulder was totally different than it was when we came back you know, 15 years ago, we've been back for about two years now. Um, it's a, it's a completely different place now. And it's, I mean, if you talk to people who actually grew up here, it's unrecognizable from their childhoods because Boulder was always like a hippie free thinking kind of place, um, where all of the alternative, you know, medical and food people showed up and, and they fought against the man and now they are fighting for the man and really kind of pushing everybody into that box. It's, it makes me shake my head, but, um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I've heard it. Um, I've met a lot of locals that have been here for a long time and, uh, I've heard there was at one point a really big movement of like deadheads mm -hmm. moving into South Boulder and now to think that like to go see a Grateful Dead show at the uh, or, or whatever the yeah, new yeah, yeah. phrase is at the Red Rocks, um, you have to show a vaccine passport. How I did know. that? How does this happen? What did, do you have an opinion well, on this like I, I metamorphosis think, of culture or what? What do you call this? Yeah, I don't know. I think that um, there were places around the country that I think were identified a number of years ago um, that started having groups pour specific people into them to try and kind of change the political atmosphere. Um, and that maybe sounds a little conspiracy theorist, but, um, I At think that, point, I think it, I think it really happened like... in Boulder. And I think that the places that used to be the meccas of art and free thinking and other, and other places where people really wanted to be, um, they were seen as highly influential in the other side, um, of this issue, I think really wanted to co-opt that in, in some ways. And so, I don't know that that's part of it. I think that there are places where highly liberal forms of thinking actually end up devolving. Like they get so liberal to the point where they don't have anything left to hang on to. And so um, then you just end up following an ideology, um, which is, you know, I, I'll probably ruffle some feathers, but that's like veganism is something that I actually. Uh, incredibly teach against. And when people come to, I've had people, I've converted vegans, um, in my cooking class, um, before they come to my cooking class normally, um, just because I think if you're going to hold on to an ideal, an ideology that's actually harming yourself, because most vegans that I've ever known have ended up with really intense health issues. And so when you end up with intense health issues, if you're going to hold on to this ideology just for the sake of ideology and you're going to harm yourself, that's a really strange way of thinking. Um, there have been things in the past that I've thought and aligned with that at the point when they were actually harming me, I changed my mind because that was like, it was counterintuitive, right? Um, but I think that there are some things like around the injections and other stuff where people have an ideology and it, even when they see it's hurting themselves or hurting people around them, they can't let go of the ideology. Uh, and that's, I, I, I think that's a dangerous place to, um, to be. And I feel like there's a lot of that around the country, but I feel it stronger and bolder. Um, so when the mask mandate went back into, um, 
into effect in September, I decided I was not going to give Boulder County any of my sales tax dollars. So I had been, I was shopping other places and I had a lot of options in the beginning because Boulder was one of the only places in Colorado that was reinstituting this mask mandate. So I was going to Arvada or Broomfield or Denver or Larimer County, um, but I was just not shopping in Boulder County. And then around Thanksgiving, it actually, um, the, the counties around us, except for Weld, um, instituted the mask policy. And so then I was driving to Greeley because Greeley was the closest place I could get natural groceries. And so there are things that, you know, I, I get from a, a, I don't know how to explain it. It's like an online company, but they're not online because you have to meet the truck every month. It's like a, it's called Azure Standard. And, and so I meet the semi-truck every month to pick up certain things, but there are other things I need in between there. Um, I have my, I have my meat delivered from butcher box or, you know, white pastures or someplace like that. But, um, there are things that I still need to go and get groceries for. So I was driving to Greeley and I was totally okay with driving an hour each way to be able to just like have that be my civil disobedience or my silent protest to say, you know, you don't, I don't have to submit to these rules. Even if a store will allow me in Boulder County to go in, nobody's going to give me a hard time. No, you know, even if they're going to allow me to do that, I just feel like I have this different way that I'm built inside that I'm, I'm not going to give them anything of mine that I, that I can choose to, to spend someplace else. I've, I feel very strongly about voting with your dollars. So that's just, it's taken me to Greeley for a month and a half. And it just, on Friday, for the first time, I was able to go to Thornton because Adams and Arapahoe County just dropped their mask mandates as of last Friday. So, yeah, is it true that like Boulder County is the only one that's not dropping it or planning on dropping it publicly um, yet? Not the only one, but everybody else around us really. I mean, like Jeffco just put it through, and I don't. I haven't heard specifically what Larimer is doing. Um, I kind of continually look at that kind of stuff, but. Um, we are going to be the holdouts because Boulder County Public Health, I don't know if you've ever listened to one of their meetings or even Boulder Valley School District, who is acquiescing all of the time to Boulder, um, Boulder County Public Health. They have no intention that I have seen from them or heard from them that they will lift it anytime soon. It's like, uh, who was it that was recently? Um, oh, in Santa Clara County. It's um, the the public health there, regardless of the science, regardless of that they're they're the only county in the whole Bay Area, they're gonna hold this to the very end. I think that there are people who are just gonna end up with egg on their face because the rest of the world is seeing it for what it is, and other countries and other states and cities are are making wise choices to move forward and call a spade a spade. And Boulder County, I, I said this at my last. Um, public comment at the Boulder Valley School District meeting is that um, how can the incredibly intelligent people in, in Boulder be the ones who are going to end up on the wrong side of history because you're not actually looking at the science. You just have, there's an agenda, I feel like, that, that has been pushed forward, um, like that ideology I was talking about before. Well, is it possible there's something they're like contractually obli obligated to do this to not pay back funding or something? I mean, it, I guess it is possible that there's some kind of, you know, under the table deal, but um, something else I addressed at the last um, 
BVSD school board meeting was that this federal funding is actually not tied in any contractual way to submitting to a mask mandate. You do not have to mask your students in order to get these federal funds from all of these. They've, they've put out now like five or six different programs, billions and billions of dollars. Like Boulder, Boulder Valley School District itself has gotten already over $18 million from these funds. And then they've just sub submitted applications for another $20 million um, to come in the next little while. And so I can't help but wonder is are they saying that we will we will follow mandates? With so the, I've talked to the, school di to superintendents around the country who who have gotten these funds and have never masked their students. So it's and not the it's payback? Is the yeah, payback I don't know. I don't do? know. I mean, it's possible that there's some other like unforeseen thing or there's some other way that additional fund. But the actual the way that gear ARP and um, the CARES Act and um, the ESSER funds, the way they all work is you have to report your plan, but you actually don't have to submit to the CDC guidelines. They are recommendations, and they say they are strongly recommended, but hmm. they're not requirements because I have surveyed the, the superintendents that I have talked to. I specifically asked them the question because I was like, you haven't mastered students from the beginning. My nephew's in Iowa. Um, their school... They've not been required at all. And so I called their superintendent because I had a personal connection just through their family to say, hey, uh, this is what I'm reading and this is what it looks like. It looks like if you don't do this masking and all of these other things that you're not going to get funding. He says, no, we get, we've gotten all of the funding, but we haven't masked. We just had to tell them what our plan was. Um, so there are places I think that are using the idea of like a requirement. Look good. It might look right? better. We're gonna we're gonna do this because it's what the CDC recommended. But the CDC has proven through this entire, you know, last couple of years, well before that, but specifically in the last couple of years, that they have an agenda and not necessarily science to back it up. So Yeah, I saw this really touching video this morning. I don't know if you saw this where it was like the teachers were announcing tomorrow as a school in Las Vegas that they there's no longer required to wear a mask. And it was like a bunch of young children oh, that yeah. just went crazy. I didn't see it, but I'm sure it was. Oh, uh, I mean, it was like, it was partly sad too, because I'm like, first of all, why are they, this should, this should never be even a discussion in the first place. Totally. And second of all, to see those kids, the, like the real stokeness. Yeah. I mean, these kids were like screaming yeah. and ripping their mask off. I'm like, yeah. Uh, this is a situation that the kids are aware of as well. And exactly. like, this is crazy. Well, and the, but the problem is I think that there are other places where we have so terrified our children in the middle of this that when they're told that they can take off their masks, they're actually potentially going to be kids who are going to be crying because they're going to be thinking they're putting themselves at danger or they're putting their grandparents in danger because maybe they could get this horrible thing and they're going to kill their grandparents because that's what they've been told for the last two years. And so as much as a child should just be able to celebrate their freedom and see the faces of their friends and their teachers, like there are kids who are going to come out of this completely terrified because they have They've, they've had their minds just completely warped over the last two years by people that they should be able to trust um, to not make them afraid for something that they don't need to be afraid for. That's wild. I mean, it definitely seems to be an agenda at play with indoctrinating the newer generation. 
Totally. What is that agenda? <laughs> well, I think that when people empower, um, the more that the more uncertainty there is, the more that people really look to someone else to solve it for them. I don't know that that's the way that it always has been, but I feel like that has really increased in the last few decades where we want someone to tell us what we need to do, um, even if it's not something that's good for us. I mean, look at the food pyramid. The food pyramid <laughs> was like completely corrupted because the government subsidized the growing of grains around our country. And so grains ended up on the bottom with, you know, 10 to 12 servings, which did nothing in those decades except make us fat and more sick. Um, and then when you start spraying those grains with Roundup and, and other stuff, and then people are getting fatter and sicker because they're eating a patented antibiotic with every corn chip that they're putting in their mouth or every bite of cereal that they're eating because that's what they were told to eat for breakfast. Um, I, I think that people, there is a certain place where if government can make more uncertainty, then they can come in and be the savior. And if you can be the savior, then people are just not going to question you in the same way because they feel like they needed you. Um, and there's also a certain point where when, if people start to question, um, you just put more, I mean, we've seen censorship and just mass confusion with everything in the media and that's been coming from the top down, changing their ideas about what we should be doing every other week. Um, I don't know. I, I'm sure I know that there's an agenda. <laughs> I just don't know how, how best to articulate it right at this moment. Yeah, I don't think anyone really does because it is just so, there's a very divisive chaoticness to it. And then once again, the mask mandate stuff, I, can lo I love hearing that this stuff is being lifted and people seem to be waking up to it. But I think we've gone through this before, like lifting it and taking it off. And like, this is very classic way of coercing mass amounts of people in the civilization is just to confuse the shit out of them. Totally. And like, take, give them freedoms, take it away the next week, give it back to them two weeks later. Exactly. And do it all with a very scary meme. Totally. I mean, fear <laughs> fear of ill health, that's a really plays deep on the psyche. Oh, yeah. Well, the thing is, this time they chose an invisible enemy, right? They chose an invisible enemy. And if you have a, a, a visible enemy that, you know, you can fight against, like all of the physical wars that have happened in the, in the you know, past hundred years or more, you have a physical enemy that's totally different. If you have an invisible enemy that could be anywhere and you might be completely healthy, but you might have this invisible enemy or someone else who's completely healthy could have this invisible enemy and you might be in danger from this completely healthy person that you love. I mean, like they opened it up so that everybody was a potential threat. And, and when everyone's a threat, then... I mean, the people who bought into that, they lived and still live in such fear that they were willing to do whatever they, that, that they needed to do to be safe. And whether that was to have some experimental injection that they were told was going to keep them safe or put on a mask that they were told to keep them safe or stop going to work and school because that was going to keep them safe. I mean, like, I, yeah, I don't understand it because I, for the first two, 
two weeks when we didn't really know what was going on, I was still going about life normally. I just was making more bone broth. I was making this stuff I call pineapple cough syrup, which I should just call pineapple immune boosting syrup because it's, it's, it was originally, I formulated it for a cough that one of my kids had that wouldn't go away. But, um, I just was doing all of the things I was making more sauerkraut. We had raw milk, you know, like I was cutting out a little bit of the natural sugars and treats that we were having, but what we were just still doing all of our normal stuff while everybody else was staying in their house all the time. I was making my kids go out and run every morning before they do their schoolwork online or, or we were going and walking the goat trail <laughs> because every place in Boulder was a ghost town. I mean, like, yeah. If you're not going to be a, a part of the agenda, then you just kind of keep going on. But then you realize how many people are not out there with you because they are being controlled by the fear. Yeah, I'm having all kinds of flashbacks like at Wonderland <laughs> Lake. Yeah. Or um, even here at the creek. I mean, someone, they had like a fence around the creek at one point, and, so which was very interesting because I was like, I was partly cool with it because I was like, I'll just go through the fence uh, and no one else is going through the fence. So now I have all of the creek to myself. to myself. It's like yeah. amazing and a little sad. I was like, yeah. I kind of want people to join me. Yeah. Um, but then I remember like some, I guess you call them Karens. I don't know what you call them, mm -hmm. but a uh, super Karen. Yeah. Like she threatening, she was going to call the police on me. Yeah. Because I'm in the creek. Yeah. I had, I had, <laughs> I had people, so I would be out walking outside without a mask on and they would be 200 yards away from me. There was a woman one time. So I would walk the, the hill on 19th street. Um, when I was just frustrated, which was a lot in 2020, I would just go and walk laps up and down this one hilly section on 19th street. And there was a woman who yelled at me about not wearing a mask and how I was going to be killing people and how I had to go get a mask. And I just kind of waved her off and kept walking my laps or whatever. But then a few weeks later, I ran into, I didn't run into, but I walked past a woman down the street from my house, getting onto the bike path. And I was walking without a mask. And she, she was just beside herself screaming at me that I was not doing the right thing and I was going to kill someone. And she was the one I needed to be looking out for because she was older. And I just thought as I walked away, I said, have a nice day. And I thought the energy you expended to scream at me and be so fearful did more for your immune system than anything that I could have carried past you. I didn't touch you. I didn't breathe on you. I wasn't coughing when you saw me or anything else. Like you did more for your immune system to be tanked than I ever could have. So I don't know that it's the responses of people has, has definitely been eye-opening and a little alarming at times. Yeah, I've yeah, I'm so in awe of how you're you're. I think it's really inspiring how you've taken the stance of not even giving Boulder County your tax dollars by shopping at the stores here. I've been more like very, to me, I've taken it as like a more of a fun, like real social experiment. I'm very into breaking norm normal memes or normal cultural cultural norms. And, um, right. That's the name of the podcast, right? Yeah. So I, I'm okay. You know, I'm, and I will admit I'm understanding what a rare breed I am in that situation that I'm willing to go into a store and have someone really have an experience. Uh, like I, I will observe them have an experience over me. Yeah. And I, I don't get too fun. It's not too much for me 
to where I need a fight, flight, freeze, or do for a facade or do something crazy. I can be with them. And, mm-hmm. and I've had a lot of weird, cool, awesome, sometimes scary experiences. Yeah. And the one most recent, I, I knew this store, this lady's, I've had a really crazy time with her before, <laughs> once before, and uh-huh. I haven't really gone in that store anymore, but I wanted to for this time. I wanted to get real quick two things real yeah. quickly. And I was almost out, but I saw her coming like a raging bull. <laughs> like I could see her in my peripheral. But I was so close to checking out that I, like, I went with a strategy of completely ignoring her. Yeah. Like literally not acknowledging her. Like it would be like... um if you were if someone was approaching you in the street that was inebriated up to no good sometimes like I, i'm pretty good at like just not even seeing them yeah but, but keeping myself safe and it was weird the more i ignored her the, I, the less i saw her but she was getting crazier and crazier she yeah. was screaming about how there's uh and the, the other employees looked like one of her, the manager actually was there at first and he just like walked away. He was like, I just like, we probably like, I don't want to get involved with this right now, but this girl right. was ready. Yeah. And uh, the, uh, the checkout lady, me and her, we kept going on, but she was just, she really went with it. That like the boulder is still under mandates. Here's your mask. Do you need a mask? Are you going to get a mask? Uh, can you wear this mask? And then finally just like threw it on the, cashier and left and said something about there's still mandates oh my and goodness. i'm just like wow um she, she had an experience like it was like a breakthrough i don't know that was a big experience on my nervous system just ignoring her totally <laughs> and i'm like wow for her that was that's she that must be there i imagine she's getting uh maybe addicted to the adrenaline rush of being that frontline soldier for this agenda oh yeah well it's been shown in studies that the chemicals that your body produces when you're angry are actually addictive. So like it, people who you know who are angry often are probably angry often because their bodies have become addicted to those chemicals and that response. And even the, the I don't know, catharsis isn't the right word, but that, that release, um, it, it, it becomes a cycle and it's hard to break and I'm not perfect in it. You can ask my family. I'm, I am plenty not perfect. in that. <laughs> yeah. I guess there's just like this weird permission for people that wanted to be that like righteous Pharisee or the person that gives the rules. They finally have, have a very socially uh, acceptable. acceptable. Yeah. It's almost like in, in a weird way, it's like embraced by a certain culture well and it is it's, it is even celebrated i mean yeah, like the there, there was there was an article a few weeks ago in the news um talking about um how people should celebrate if unvaccinated people die That's um and real. they should actually like make fun of their obituaries and other things like they weren't vaccinated serves them right kind of stuff and uh, I don't know, like it, there's people thought that all of the crazies came out of the woodwork when Trump was getting elected for president. I mean, like I, we've seen a whole lot more crazy come out of the woodwork in response to this whole, you know, uh, us against them. You know, you're vaccinated. I'm not vaccinated. You're wearing a mask. You're a, you know, a virus denier or whatever else. Like we've seen a whole lot more crazy in the last two years than I feel like. I mean, like there was a lot of ugly that came out before but i feel like that you're just seeing a whole different very honest side of people um just because the situation has been it's been so intense for so long yeah so and now instead of just complaining about it 
what do you do you have i i know you're do, doing a lot of things do you yeah. have um recommendations for other parents particularly that might be listening or other kids students a lot of students might be listening to this like college students um and the if you whatever you can say about because there's, there's this conversation around bonds that to me sounds like wow this sounds like this could leverage some power against yeah. maybe politicians or i'm not exactly sure yeah. who and so, any elected and appointed official that could technically leverage stuff around yeah so i'd love to hear about any advice around what to do what actions to take and anything you can say about the bonds for sure okay well i guess if i was going to start kind of at the beginning i would say for for parents and other students and people um, to take the best care of themselves, I think you actually have to put in the best things. So that for me starts with food. Um, I teach an ancestrally based cooking class and I help people with health issues. I don't have any extra letters behind my name because I've spent the last two decades raising children mm -hmm. and reading and listening to podcasts and, you know, f finding things out, changing things with my own family, helping people who were close to me, you know, solve sleuth health problems and, and figure out ways to kind of solve those things outside of the medical model. Um, but I think that what you put into your body with your food and your water, because your tap water is horrible and the things that are in, especially in Boulder with um, the experiments that they've done here, show that you just don't need anything out of your tap water. So if you don't have a Berkey filter or something that's you know, getting all that junk out and a Brita filter is not enough. Um, but if you don't have that stuff coming out or a good clean source of spring water or something, um, you're just, you're putting bad stuff in, in the beginning. So seed oils, they need to be out. If you can't think clearly because your body doesn't function, I think that that's the biggest, the biggest starting spot. I think the next place is, you know, how you are digesting your emotion because you can, have undigested food and that'll cause problem. But if you're not taking care of your emotions and, um, that kind of stuff, it will build up just like, you know, if you're constipated. <laughs> um, and so, so that's a big piece. And then if you move on from there, I think that, um, your sleep is highly important in all of that. And, um, your use of technology and the amount of time that you're going to spend, you know, just zoning out. People look at the, all of the things that I know how to do. Um, I have a really broad background and I have, I know how to do a lot of stuff. My husband and I have restored houses. I'm an apparel designer. I do a lot of stuff around cooking and health stuff. And, um, I'm just kind of a personality. I'm going to figure it out. But I also grew up in an era where I didn't have a screen in my hand all day long. And so I got bored and I had to figure out something to do. And, and that served me well. And I'm trying to impress that on my children with varying degrees of, of results and success and failure at other times. But I mean, like how you spend your time, it's a really big thing. But then as you get into how you're going to engage with your community, I think to, to have specific ways that you know you want to show up and specific things that you know you don't want to do to have strong convictions, I think is there are places where that's actually looked down on right now. Um, but I think having strong convictions actually helps you move forward in a really, in a really powerful way. You, you have a, a meaning and a, you know, a, I, I guess a path forward for, for what, what you want to do and how you want to show up in the world. 
um, in these specific circumstances, like, I mean, I, I have chosen to shop outside of Boulder County since September. Um, I had, you know, a wonderfully open summer where I felt like I could kind of go everywhere and, you know, not, not have restrictions that I felt were internal or external. Um, and, and I got to the point where when that mask mandate came back in, I was, I sat in my car the day that I found out that it was starting again the next day. And I, and I had this moment of like, almost like physically shaking because I was so angry that it was coming again. But then Mm. like an hour or two later after I had, you know, finished running my errands and gone out and gotten my raw milk from the farm, I had this kind of epiphany, like, I don't have to be in a county. I'm like, I still live in this county. I didn't move, but I don't have to be in the county to do business. Like I can that's something that it's an easy thing for me to pull off. And so I haven't like I've run into places without a mask in Boulder, but I don't spend money in Boulder. And so that's, that's just easy. Um, Fighting the system, I guess, if you want to say that in quotes, Um, I've been petitioning senators and representatives, you know, at the, local, local, um, state and federal level. And I, I'm not sure how much any of that helps. I've testified against bad bills in the last, um, year and a half. Um, and I think that public comment's super important. I think our lawmakers should be listening to us because technically that's their job and we elected them, um, to do that. I'm not sure how much it actually happens because I have testified against a couple bills and then you list after there are overwhelming comments in opposition of something that the, like the state legislature is trying to push through overwhelming comments against it. They kind of act like, even though they've just heard 35 or 40 people say this is a bad idea and give all, all myriad of different answers and perspectives they continued to move forward with it. Like it didn't make any difference. So um, beyond running for office and actually changing things yourself um, as the person who ends up in charge, I'm just going to continue to give public comment at the school board meetings until I see the change that I think needs to happen because I think that masking our children is criminal. I think that it hurts their psychological and their intellectual um, way they show up in school and at home. Um, and so I'm just going to keep doing that. One of the things you, you had asked me to talk about the bonds. One of the things that I've been working on since, um, November, um, is trying to figure out what does that look like in the state of Colorado? Um, so every elected and appointed official, uh, when they take their oath of office is required to have, um, a bond, a form of errors and omissions insurance. It's basically like, car insurance, you know, if before you take office, if you hurt something purposefully or accidentally, you are, you are basically covering yourself. The bond is an an insurance policy to make sure you're going to fulfill your oath of office. And if you don't fulfill your oath of office, the people can hold you accountable. And so by submitting a claim against the bond of an elected or appointed official, it's basically the notice of an impending lawsuit. And so when you submit a claim, it's basically like giving them an ultimatum. These are my demands. You have to have it written up like a 
like a legal kind of a document. These are, these are the things that I want to happen. And if you meet these, these things, you know, with, and, and these are the laws, the statutes, the, the precedents that, that you, that you broke or that you didn't uphold. This is the way my child was injured because you made them wear masks in the school. You made this policy. You continue to uphold this policy. My child is being injured. And so, um, I'm going to file this claim against your bond unless this masking policy is, you know, removed or whatever. Um, but you have to be willing and able to move forward with a lawsuit if they don't acquiesce to those demands. And so I think it's important, first of all, to have a good, you have to have a good case. <laughs> um, you also have to have a, a good list of demands, reasonable, because there are there are parents who I have heard about filing bonds with their against their superintendents or their school boards, where some of the the um, conditions I feel like like some someone who was requiring for their superintendent to actually resign. The mask policy had to be reversed. The superintendent actually had to resign. I think you're just going to find yourself in a much dif more difficult place unless you can actually prove in a court that they would, that they would uphold your demands. Um, it, you're better to, to have the demands be something that's a, maybe more fair across the board or um, that fulfills what you want to accomplish, but is also attainable. Does that make sense? Am I, am I, am I making any sense? I don't know. Oh no, I think you made so much sense. I'm so happy. This is one of the reasons I love doing these podcasts because it's like now that it's recorded, I could re-listen to it because I think you gave a pretty good breakdown for someone that's interested in maybe taking some local action, even if it's within their own psyche and heart of how to choose their their boundaries of what yeah. they'll do all the way to the level of finding out what a bond is and yeah. how to maybe use that to a, for a bigger cultural movement. Yeah. I, so the warnings I will give that things I have learned along the way about the bonds and specifically how that works here in Boulder and in, even in the state of Colorado. Um, one of the things, if you want to file a claim against someone's bond, you have to find out what their bond actually, the amount that the bond is actually for and who the company is that holds the bond. And in the state of Colorado, there's something called the Colorado um, School District Insurance Pool. And it's a way around them getting individual bonds for board members and other staff and people who traditionally would be required to have an individual bond, but in the state of Colorado, it's been allowed, or at least at least in this area, it's been allowed to have like an umbrella policy that will cover people. So it is a little bit more tricky to file a claim against a bond when an individual bond doesn't exist. It's, it's just more of like an umbrella policy. So that's one thing that's an, um, kind of a confounding factor here that it's not that way in other parts of the country. Um, the other warning I would say is that there are some places online, a couple, web, the, at least one website that's popped up for bond stuff um, that for the state of Colorado has inaccurate information. So I looked through a lot of Colorado revised statutes and the things that they have listed on their website um, a lot of the things that they have listed for the CRS codes are um, 
not applicable to this measure, to this arena. And they don't have things up, um, listed on their site. And I've tried to get in touch with them to, ha- to help them correct it. Um, but they haven't been getting back to me. So, um, just going to a website that makes it seem like you can, you know, you can do this, you know, on your own and we're going to help you and whatever else. Um, it might just not be as straightforward as that. Um, and especially I think that Colorado has tried to make that hard. Um, and I'm, it sounds I'm, like an attorney would be helpful if someone, I mean, what kind of attorney specializes in this? Well, I don't know if any attorneys are really specializing in this. The thing that I have found is that um, a lot of attorneys aren't really willing to touch these things because they get expensive. Um, well, they might not, not that they're not willing, but they, you have to have a lot of money to be able to push something through like this. And you can do it pro se on your own without an attorney. But I was warned by an attorney because I actually had a, um, a contact with a, a, an attorney who was a friend of a friend of mine. Um, and she warned me, you know, you can totally do it pro se. You can file all of the lawsuit stuff on your own, but they will bury you. And especially um, Boulder Valley School District. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the recall effort that went around a few months ago, um, but the people who were initially circulating the petitions were harassed by not necessarily school board members, but by people who were associated with the school board in some way. Um, And so I think that the district's attorneys would try and bury a parent if they came at it on their own. And this attorney had also advised me that really what you need is a group of around 10 parents who all have um, specific claims. So there are community members who don't have um, kids in BVSD who are showing up um, to do public comment, showing up. Everything's online. It's Zoom. It's ridiculous. They should not be allowed to con- be continuing to do these school board meetings two years later on Zoom. It's ridiculous. But um, people who don't have kids in Boulder Valley School District who also don't have um, a specific case, like a personal case, a way that they feel like their child has been harmed. And that could technically be my child has social suffered socially or has, it, it doesn't have to be, hey, my kid has autism and wearing a mask has made him self-harm. Because that was a case of another, another mother that I heard of, not here, but in another state. And it was a strong case. I mean, she had a, she had a good case. Um, but you have to have a case and you have to have standing uh, to be able to have a claim actually be addressed. And so... I just caution people from hearing about this because initially when I heard about it, I was like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. This is kind of outside of the law. That's what my initial understanding was, is that it was outside of the whole legal system that we could get this accomplished. Because if they acquiesce to your demands or your threat of a lawsuit without having to press forward, then you have avoided the legal system. (laughs) Um, But... The I lost my train of thought. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, it's okay. This is uh, this is pat jam packed with good information. Holy mackerel! Um, what were they going to say about that? Oh, well. So the other thing that, like, if someone doesn't doesn't have everything that they need in a row, in a, like in order, um, what they can actually do is ruin it for everybody else. 
who might have had it in order. If you go off half-cocked and you don't have all of the information and you don't have a good case and you just go to your school board and you say, I know about bonds and you guys are going to you know, take down this mask mandate because otherwise I'm going to put a claim against your bond and you don't understand all of that and you don't understand that the board members of BBSD actually don't have an individual bond, then you're going to screw it up for somebody else who's going to come and actually have a plan later on. Um, early on in my research, I was listening to a podcast and Robert F. Kennedy Jr. was being interviewed and he was talking about the autism omnibus case um, a number of years ago and how they had worked so hard and they had all of these, you know, like thousands and thousands of parents who, and all of these affidavits and all of this information. And then this lawyer pops up in Oregon and says, we can do it. We can prove, we can prove that, you know, vaccines cause autism. We're going to do it. And, and RFK was like, please don't, because you're going to screw it up for the rest of us. And he was like, no, we can do it. We, we have the information. We can, we can prove it. And he went ahead and pressed his case in Oregon and lost and set them back years and actually probably impacted some of the results from the omnibus trial just because he wasn't willing to wait and do it properly. And so, like, those are my, my biggest warnings to parents who maybe want to do it. Community members, you can't technically file a claim against the bond because you don't actually have a place to file a lawsuit, as far as I understand it from the legal perspective of the lawyer that I consulted with. Um, you actually need to have a student within the system. Um, so, like, right now, I do have one student who's completely online um, with within BBSD. So we, when my, my oldest graduated in 2020 amidst all the craziness, um, didn't get the second half of her senior year, uh, didn't get normal graduation or, you know, prom or any of those normal, you know, end of high school experiences, uh, because my kids were, we, we homeschooled originally in Oregon, in, in Colorado and in Oregon. Um, and then when we moved to California, we put them in public school. And then when we moved back to Colorado a couple of years ago, um, we were just kind of already, like our oldest was in starting her senior year and we had a junior behind that and a freshman behind that. And it was just easier to keep them in. So keep them my, in public school. Yeah. Keep them in public school for, I mean, cause at that point we had, we had thought, Oh, Boulder, Boulder high looks great. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it wasn't that far away. Um, and I mean, like going back now, knowing what I know now, I would never have put them in public school, even in California, even though we were moving from a much larger house in Oregon where we had room for, you know, homeschool messiness and everything else for kids to be all home and not be on top of each other and whatever, and then move to a much smaller place in California. Um, and thinking that we were going to be so temporary, it kind of felt like, you know, a little reprieve. But then when you end up someplace for longer, um, it's kind of easy to, I don't know, just to get accustomed to a different, to a different way. But then in the middle of that, when you see the things that public school is actually teaching and feeding your kids, like I'm not even talking about actual food because the public school system was never allowed to feed my kids, but the things that they fed their minds, um, the ways of thinking that showed up specifically in my two girls, um, over the course of the time that we were in California, I would go back and inconvenience myself to keep them at home if, because I feel like there's a lot of things that we could have avoided. Um, just from a poisoning of the mind 
kind of perspective. I guess I'll leave that there just because that's maybe a really big rabbit hole to jump down. But um, so my my third right now is a junior and she's in the completely online program because I would not send them um, back to school for the 2020-2021 school year. Um, So my second was a senior that year and my third was a sophomore. And then my youngest would have been in eighth grade. So we completely pulled out our youngest. Our middle two were doing um, Boulder Universal, which is the online thing, because I was like, we're not going to do this. Maybe we're in school this week and maybe we're at home and maybe we're, you know, asynchronous and maybe we're, you know, having to meet at a specific time or whatever. We're just going to go completely to this other program, which they could do on their own time, Um, which I think they both really liked school could be totally flexible. They both got jobs. They were able to, you know, work all day and then do school for a a few hours in the evening. Um, So my third right now is a junior and is still continuing in that program. But for my youngest, it just, we knew it wasn't going to work. So at some point, if I was going to do something with a bond, um, I would need to do it while she was still in school. Although I do feel like I would have a case to say that my youngest would be in school if the whole entire situation was different. But I will not put them back into school until everything has returned to an older form of normal than what they're trying to make normal now. Um, I don't know, nothing in the last two years has looked like I mean, everything was very different to begin with from how I went to high school, you know, 27 years ago or something now. Um, But it's really, uh, I I just, I won't, I won't send them them back at this point. So, well, the whole point of that was just to say that I think that my, I could potentially make a case if I was going to bring a claim against a bond that my youngest would be in school, and it's inconvenient. It, from from my perspective, I think, well, he's actually still doing fine. My husband thinks he's getting behind, but I think he's fine, and he'll learn what he needs to learn. And the things that we're making him do at home are not anything, you know, the the like he, what he would be doing if he was in school. But he's also not wasting, you know, six and a half hours or eight hours a day, you know, being off at school. Um, but he looks at it like he's missing out on all these social things and all of these, you know, opportunities to be involved in stuff. And so there is a case there to say that if the district had a different policy, he would be in a public school setting and that from their perspective, he's probably not getting what he needs from the, from the, an education system. And so they would probably fight to say that he should be in their schools. Um, And so I think I would have a case there, you know, even for the next few years after my, my third is graduated. But I don't know, you have to have a case. You have to, which means you need to have a child who is in some way impacted by the system. So those are the And it's also mysterious because like, maybe it'll just go away again. (laughs) That'd be nice. Yeah. Maybe it'll, maybe it'll like become a choice thing again. Well, I think that, I mean, choices it's a it's what needs to be there if we're going to remain a true democracy but 
they have taken the stance that, you know, mandates and, um, I don't know, all of their policies have just become to, to be controlling people in a certain direction. And I think it's, it was just brought to my mind again because someone played, um, replayed the clip from a, from a year ago or, yeah, I think it was like a year ago. So Lena Wen, um, Dr. Lena Wen, um, is like a CNN medical advisor or something like that. And she was on national television, you know, saying we really, before, you know, before we start to release all of these restrictions and these lockdown measures, we need to have pe people have to get vaccinated before we, we release these or why are they going to get vaccinated? <laughs> why are they going to, why are they going to get this shot? If, if their life is all back to normal, we have to keep this as pressure. I mean, basically that's what she was saying. Like we have to keep these pressures in place or we're not going to get this other goal that we really want to happen accomplished. So I don't know when you see the, the depth of the agenda, I think you can kind of choose to turn around and run away or, or you can be part of the people pushing forward the agenda. On that note, on these juices, and uh, these injections, whatever you want to call them, <laughs> I, I guess, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if some of my episodes have been removed without me knowing it off Spotify specifically. Oh, can Okay. Yeah, so I don't know how they do that. If there's like keywords or if somebody I don't complains. Know. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, like, so I don't know if Spotify is doing it or not, but I know Apple Podcasts still has, they, they're they not removing it. I, yeah, I don't think I've ever had any full, episodes removed from full, there. Full, so I don't, I'm not on Spotify, so the whole like. I would have to confirm it, but sometimes I like looked for a few of my episodes. I'm like, where is this episode? And then I started thinking about what we talked about. Yeah. And I was like, oh, we did talk about that. We did use that V word quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah, I usually say injection, but sometimes I do slip up. <laughs> so, is there a real chance that those are? Um, I, I'm uh, there's some heart freeze drying in the, the oh, yeah. liquid that's coming out. It's just about to overflow, but it looks like it's right there on the brim. Side note, y'all. But is there a real? Uh, speaking of flesh, is there a? What is the fetal tissue? This story with vaccine. I mean, injection. Okay, <laughs> so know? well, I, so. I mean, like, if you're specifically talking about the stuff around the current injections sure. that were created. Sure, we could start there sure. and or beyond. Yeah, I, I mean, so the traditional injections that were created for this current situation, um, the traditional ones, like from Johnson & Johnson and AstraZeneca, contain aborted fetal tissue. Aborted fetal human? Like yes. Human. And Abort other animals or no? Um. Other animal tissue, but not aborted fetal tissue. So fetal tissue is different because fetal tissue, the way that it is, um, is it can create any other cell structure when it's in that fetal form. Um, it's like a, it's like stem cells, as far as I understand it, in that it can become anything. Um, and so that aborted fetal tissue is used to as a cell medium to grow. Um, the whatever, you know, thing that they're trying to replicate to make you have an immune response. They're growing that on, the, on that um, fetal tissue. In the mRNA version um, of the injections, they're tested on fetal tissue. And so it's, does, so I have heard 
people say that they do still contain um, some fetal tissue. Like some someone recently was saying that they contain full cell lines um, and like full genome sequences of of fetal DNA. I haven't been able to confirm that um, for this specific thing because, you know, with trade secret and whatever else, there are things that are, you know, not listed on the Pfizer you know, ingredient list that was FOIA'd um, by Aaron Series law firm for ICANN. Um, and so there, are, they say that the only things that aren't, that aren't listed or the thing that was redacted was water, but there are things that they don't have to listen, list just because it's trade secret. And so as long as they can call it trade secret, it doesn't have to be put on that ingredient list. Um, but so the mRNA injections are tested on fetal cell lines. Um, and so people who have an issue with, you know, using fetal tissue or not wanting that, in, them, that inside of themselves, um, if you have any issue with abortion, you really shouldn't be taking any of these injections. Um, but as you go back to even all of the previous injections that have ever been made for childhood vaccinations and whatever else, um, a lot of those, not all of them, but a lot of those contain aborted fetal cell, cell lines. Um, and they're used on, in the um, development of those um, vaccines as well. So the things we see, it, there are so many things that I think actually contribute to the current health crisis in our country. I mean, food sources and how food is grown and made and the things that it contains, that's huge. But the things that we've injected into our kids over the past couple generations, the, I mean, really the last couple decades, it's gotten more and more. So I think when I was a kid, there were maybe six or seven, you know, vaccines that I got as a kid. And right now from birth until 18, there are 72 doses of 16 vaccines that will be given to our kids. And if the COVID shots are ever mandated, that could go up to 75 mandatory doses. Um, yeah. That was, so from what age to what age? 72 Doses? 72 from birth to 18. That's and really most of those, like 69 of those doses, maybe it's like 67 or 68 of those doses are within like the first four or five years. And you said, uh, you said 72 doses of 16? 16, because some of them have like, multiple. A, like multiple doses that they're, mm. that they're giving over, you know, like one's called a, you know, you're getting your booster or whatever. Yeah. You know, you've got your, a series of shots. For Is that one. including the flu ones? The, so or the- I, th- I think, so I'm not sure that if flu is, ma- is you know, it's, 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 I think it's a part of those. Um, but, the, but the flu shots for kids Alarming. that are actually like recommended, that's not actually, so the flu shot and what like the Hib, I think, which is like. Influenza B or something like that. I'm, I don't remember what the H stands for, um, but that one is, te- I think, technically a flu shot, but it's not. Um, it's not like seventy-two doses doesn't include a flu shot every year. That that's not what that what that includes. If that's what you were getting to. I mean, it's an alarming number. Yeah. 
Well, and and the thing is that if after you know all of those additional um, vaccines and shots for our kids, if they were superhuman healthy right now, it might be completely different. But we have the sickest generation that has ever walked the face of the earth. I mean, like take out clean water and sanitation and refrigeration and better access to, to food, you know, just because nutrient deficiency causes so many issues, uh, like historically. But if you just take those things out, our kids have more autoimmune conditions and health problems now than they did, you know, 40 years ago, 60 years ago, a hundred years ago, I, I probably at any, at any other time in history. Um, and like I was saying before, there's a lot of things that are involved in that. It is food for sure. It is the vaccinations that they're getting throughout their childhood. It is the introduction of new technology and, and EMF exposure and different kinds of radiation that are non-native forms. I mean, like my husband likes to argue with me that, oh, well, radiation is, is always uh, existed. You know, you're going to get more radiation from the sun than from this other thing that I'm concerned about. But the, the native and the non-native, I think, really plays in. If it's been a part of the, the earth from the beginning, I think that we just have a different way that it's going to impact our bodies because, I mean, even the non-native things, strong people usually adapt. And sometimes it takes a, a couple generations for that not to be seen. Or maybe we just get used to, you know, not performing as high as highly as our ancestors did. And maybe it just becomes a new normal because we're just used to, used to functioning, you know, in a lower, in a lower capacity or something. But um, I don't know. There's just, there are a lot of things that I think are impacting it, but the, the vaccinations and the food are just so huge. And the way that they have decreased in their quality for food, but increased in their quantity for vaccines, like the toxic soup that our kids live in is, it's, it's just inhumane. Um, and, and the adults were supposed to be protecting them all of the time. And now they're being subjected to experimental shots to save their grandparents. Like that's not the way that humanity has ever worked before. You never sacrifice the young for the sake of the old. That just, it just, didn't work that way wow <laughs> yeah i had something i had something it's okay and then it the slipped. trains are jumping the tracks today it slipped there for a moment wow do you have anything else you want to make sure you include that we have not spoken about i think if people want a, an easy way to get involved if you start showing up which is online which is ridiculous but showing up and offering pub public comment i think every single school board meeting needs to be the entire hour that's allotted for public comment needs to be full because there are a lot of things that parents and community members need to be expressing to the school board. And it doesn't just need to be a noisy minority that's saying, you know, the same thing every time. Um, I think everybody, it's, it's super easy to do. You just go to the school board website and you sign up for public comment by noon of the day of the meeting. They meet the second and fourth Tuesdays of the month. Um, 
And I talk about some form of something a little bit different um, every time, but it's okay if you just have one issue and you want to say the same thing <laughs> again and again, or if you just want to, you know, have a some some quotes from some historic figure that totally relates to the freedom or the way that children should really, you know, be educated or something, and you think it's pertinent and you just want to read it, you only have two minutes. It's not like you have to put together a, you know, a one-hour presentation. It's it's a short little thing, um, but not only school board meetings, but the public health right now, I think, is the biggest issue. Boulder County Public Health needs to be held accountable. Um, and as far as I can see, public health, there's no good way to hold public health, health accountable. Um, these people are appointed by the city commissioners. So unless you, unless you elect really great city commissioners, uh, your public health appointees are probably going to be who, whoever they, those commissioners are told to appoint. I would assume that those commissioners don't actually vet those people themselves. I think that they're probably being told who to appoint. And I think that that probably is coming from a much higher kind of public health mafia, if you want to call it that. Um, but yes, uh, public health needs to hear about it. They need to hear from the community because there are times, if you listen to their meetings, they are just patting themselves on the back for doing such a great job. And I think that Boulder County Public Health specifically and how they have handled this pandemic has been so backwards um, and so authoritarian um, that we need, to, we need to stop letting them think that they've done a good job because they haven't. But that means that people have to show up online technically right now. I wish we could just show up in person because it, it's just so much more impactful when they have to look us in the face. And that's part of the reason why I think that they're still continuing to hold things on Zoom because they know it's so contentious and they've heard about school board meetings being overrun with parents and whatever else. And they just don't want to deal with us in person. And so I really do think that that is part of the agenda to keep us online. It's not because we're still in a form of emergency. I actually said at the end of my last um, public comment for the school board. It, the, uh, there's no reason. I said on a final note, there's no reason why these things are still happening on Zoom. The emergency's over. The super liberal governor already said the emergency's over. I should nobody should be telling you what to wear on your face. But um, the the public health meeting that happened right after he said that statement the public health people were saying, does the governor know the statistics around, you know, some of these masking things? Because they had, you know, one of their propaganda mask um, presentations done. And and they were like, we should send this to the governor because he just said the emergency's over and nobody should be telling anybody what to wear on their faces. And I'm like, oh man, somebody's got their information wrong. But it's, I mean, at this one juncture, it's not the governor although I don't know why he made that statement because he's been pushing for people to still be doing things behind the scenes. So, Wow. The plot's thick on this one. It is. Um, I did remember what I was thinking about came okay. back to me. And I think part of this uh, medical mafia's agenda uh, over time, that's also accelerated along with all the other environmental exposures that you were alluding to, is like the uh, looking for new things, like diagnosing people, like all these new um, 
iterations of illness, like yeah. westernized into a classification that can be like cut, cured, or whatever. Yeah. Like a, it's the, and the, the, you know, the more they're going to look for the new things, the more they're probably going to find it. Yeah. And then once again, it's, it's just scary how easy it is to probably play on most people's fear of ill health. Totally. And you got the white guy in the lab coat talking about this new thing of this. It's a it's a real crazy, real crazy thing. The medical system, especially yeah. in the United States, well, especially when it gets in bed with like capitalism and pharmaceutical companies, and it's all oh, man. Yeah. Well, and when sixty four, I think, is the number sixty four of the top earning drugs in the nation are actually for conditions that are on the inserts for the vaccines that the kids are given and the flu vaccine, the flu shot. Um, Can you say that again? When well, so there's 64. Six, I think it's 64. It might be 53. I have so many numbers stuck in mm -hmm. my head all the time, but it's either 53 or 64 of the top selling drugs in the company. The top money making pharmaceutical products are specifically for conditions that are listed as side effects of the vaccines on the vaccine inserts that are given to our kids and for the flu shot. So. Basically, it's not that you're just looking to diagnose something new. You're actually creating problems and you're actually creating sickness for which you have a pill, you have a patch, you have a something, um, you have an expensive, you know, medical procedure. All of the infertility that we're seeing right now, I think there's some of it that has to do with food. There is some of that that has to do with HPV shots that these kids were given in their, you know, prime form like their pubescent years and now their fertility they actually want to use it and they can't and and it's you can trace it back like hpv shot by itself has been one of the most damaging i think it is the most damaging um shot that's been pushed on our on our kids and it hasn't even pre prevented cervical cancer it's actually caused more cervical cancer than it than was existing before the shot um, came into being. It, it was a minuscule percentage of, of, of girls and young women who were ending up with cervical cancer. And, and there are so many cases that have been reported of, you know, a year or two or four after an HPV shot that a woman has, a young lady, not even a woman, has to have a complete hysterectomy because she ended up with cervical cancer from her HPV shot. Um, it's, it's just something that shouldn't be there. So not only are they looking for new things and trying to overdiagnose everything, but they are creating problems with their, with their pharmaceutical things on the injection side, but then also with the food products. I, I think that the way I try to explain it to people is that there are these, these spheres. You've got like big oil, which actually feeds into big ag, which actually feeds into big food, which feeds into big medicine, which feeds, feeds into big pharma, which feeds back into big oil because the oil products are also used to make the pharmaceutical um, things. And so then over top of all of it, you have big government and big government has their hands in so many things. And somewhere in there now you have to include big tech because big tech is actually causing some issues um, in that whole mix too. But when big government has all of their regulatory agencies are captured, 
the CDC is actually profiting from the industry that they're supposed to be regulating. The FDA is profiting from the industry that they're supposed to be regulating. The USDA is profiting from the EPA, the, the FFA. You can go into all of them, right? They're, they're all involved in making money in the industries and from the industries that they're supposed to be regulating and protecting us from, right? These big businesses are supposed to have protective measures that the government is supposed to have for the, to protect the people. And when government actually is not, not doing its job and is actually completely oppositely um, making it, making the problem worse by, by not only just not doing its job, but allowing things to happen that are actually harmful for people, that's a really big problem. And so that's maybe making everybody super pessimistic, but I think you have to be aware of the problem before you can actually decide, I'm not going to be part of this. I mean, like, we've almost completely opted out of the standard American diet. Everything that the USDA tells us to do and the FDA tells us to do, we kind of do the exact opposite of that, right? Um, yeah, those are crazy. Those are crazy things. The, yeah. And the the ideas they pass around are wild as well. Even the USDA, just the sheer, the small amount of animals that the U, USDA consider USDA animals is amazing. It's like, the, it, I guess they thought people, and I guess most people do, don't they eat five animals or less. Like that, that's, that's what it is. I guess goat, sheep, cow, pig. Right. Bert, the chicken. But like for instance, bison's not even a USDA animal. Right. And that's what I've been eating most of. And it's, you know, I, on that note, on that note of like what you can do and, you know, food is a major part of how we can start changing yeah. our realities today. Yeah. Especially if we are what we are, we are what we eat is, you know, you, you articulate and seem to have the mind of a shark, like someone that I would like, yeah, I bet she eats liver. I do. <laughs> what would you say for maybe some um, action steps in the kitchen people could take as a, like a takeaway here, a little dessert. Yeah. And um, include anything you would like to say about liver or other organs. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that uh, organ meats were always prized by our ancestors. They were the, they were the most important part of the animal. When, when they hunted and killed animals, they, the, those were the parts that were given to the most important people in the tribes. So like women of childbearing age, um, who had been recently married and were going to be having babies, they got fresh organ meats preferentially and children got fresh organ meat preferentially. That's just the way that, and, and then the elders, right? The, the people who hunted were honored by having the first bite of the heart or whatever thing that they were, you know, because different ancestral cultures maybe had a little bit different way that they went around it. But, but nose to tail consumption of an animal not only benefited the entire tribe, but it honored the animal. Um, and the further we get away from that, the sicker we get, right? In the early 1900s, it, it was seen that the um, organ meats were for the poor. They, because refrigeration became this whole thing and they could actually then centralize um, animal processing in one place and then they could send it out everywhere else. So then they had all of these like, you know, 
boneless, skinless chicken breasts that they could, you know, sell for more if they could convince people that they were the upper class food. And so when you get away from the idea that you would get the most nutrition from the cuts that today are seen as the dirtiest or the, you know, the least affluent, um, the word off awful awful interesting how it says sounds like awful yeah yeah i don't know when that actually came around but it is my kids always used to make fun of that and there is i maybe it's a calvin and hobbes comic or something about awful um anyways it's i i just think like anytime that i'm not making so i serve liver in some or and sometimes and heart so there's a a great um, brand called Force of Nature that has um, a blend where they already have um, grass-fed, like pasture-raised beef with um, heart and liver. They have a a bison version too that actually, it's harder to find that one that actually has the heart and the liver mixed in with it. But you, I know you can get the um, the just bison meat in the freezer section at Natural Grocers. Um, but there are easy ways to get it into your diet right now. Like if you can't, if you can't find it fresh from someone and cook it yourself, you don't want to do that. You can find it pre-ground like hamburger that you can use to make. I make a wonderful grain-free lasagna with this force of nature, which has, you know, the beef heart and the beef liver in it. And, um, I make a meatloaf that, or meatballs that I put in a butternut squash soup that has chicken liver in it. I make a amazing chicken liver pate. But if there's a time when I, when I either am not making it or haven't, we haven't had it for some days, I have desiccated organ supplements that I keep around because I know that it's important for us to get it into our diets. It's the, the forms of vitamin A that you need, you can't get from vegetables. If you don't get them from animal sources like raw milk and, 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 um, organ meats, you're not going to get it and your brain's going to suffer and your skin's not going to look as good. And you know, your nails aren't going to be strong and all of the things. So if I'm cooking chicken, you're almost always going to find it at my house that it's on the bone. I'm going to cook a whole chicken. I'm going to cook chicken drumsticks. We're going to eat the skin. We're, we're, it's we're you're going to do the whole thing. And then I'm going to take the bones after we're done and I'm going to make bone broth because I'm going to honor that animal that I, first of all, I had to pay for it. So I might as well like consume everything. Um, I'm going to honor it, but I'm going to get all my money's worth out of it. Why would I throw it away? It's one of the reasons I love having these dogs around. You better believe they eat a lot of good scraps. I bet they do. A lot. And that was pretty inspiring to hear about the dessert of chicken skin. I want chicken. (laughs) I'm hungry now. Yeah. 3.33. Look at that. Well, wow. Thank you so much for your time and all your action. Yeah. Your action and uh, wow, it sounds like uh, it'd be a special. I bet dinner time around the house is pretty special. <laughs> yeah, my kids don't com- usually complain. Although there were times in their childhood, we just pushed through. Like there were things that they didn't want to eat that I was like, I'm the parent and I'm going to choose what you're going to eat because that's my job to make sure that you're getting well nourished and you're going to eat the things I put in front of you. <sighs> um, so we did have some issues, but now, I mean, my kids, they, they don't love pate. But I, that's why I hide, um, you know, liver and organ meats in, in food and other ways. I don't have to hide it. It's just there. And sometimes they go, does this have liver in it? And I'm like, 
like it doesn't even matter. I mean, like you're not gonna you're not gonna not enjoy it just because it has liver in it, but you're gonna eat it either way because that I have always had an eat it or starve approach. It's a strong taste. <laughs> it's a strong taste, and I think that's one of the reasons uh, for tribe vitamins or the desiccated bison liver we've been sharing to the world for over a year now. Uh, a lot of things you spoke to are exactly the results people get: nails, totally. skin, hair. A lot of times, uh, overall, just well-being and yeah. gut issues. Totally. Um, but for me, I just take those things every day. And I'll eat organ meats, but I yeah. freaking love these desiccated organs. Yeah. It, it's, a real, it's like a real, to me, it's like the food that was medicine before there were pharmacies. And that's, totally. And I don't know. It just seems like nutritional assurance as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, in the past, if you had an issue with a specific, and, the, and you're you know, your shaman or your whoever, it's because they didn't have doctors, but they had people who they just knew if you had an issue, they would give you the corresponding organ from a healthy animal as your medicine. And people just got better. Like, yeah, there. So if you look at different ancestral tribes, like the Hadza that are still around, they don't have neurodegeneration in their old people. They don't have, you know, osteoporosis in their old women. They don't have mental issues. People maybe get, you know, fall out of a tree and break a leg, but the chronic conditions that we deal with in our country do not exist. And they didn't exist in, for, the, for the most part in any traditional culture. It was just the traditional cultures that were around the industrialized cultures as they got closer. Um, the the traditional cultures that kind of were in between were the ones who ended up sick because the missionaries came in and gave them white men's food. And, and, and the minute that you start introducing some of those, those things, you, um, you kind of do it to your own detriment. That's not to say that I don't make delicious sourdough bread because occasionally I do. (laughs) Oh yeah. I know that's where you're (laughs) heading to. And I'm, I love sourdough bread as well, actually. And, um, yeah, just to tie a, to a little dessert on top of the dessert to just keep people researching and thinking more about this topic. My understanding for like the bison, they can't they can't uh, harvest the thyroid. Oh, really? And uh, allegedly, you know, thyroid medication is very popular. Yeah. Very popular. Yeah. And um, I think there's a connection there, and that's kind of what I heard without someone directly saying it. Yeah. And it would not surprise just me. Just to testify to like. Yeah, this like healing like, um, this has been around for a long time for a reason. Yeah. And it makes me just wonder too about like the lack of people, because you mentioned the neurodegenerative issues, but the lack of people that, uh, or the lack of brains and uh, nerve in people's diets. Yeah. That's a, and I haven't really consumed much brains. Yeah. Well, and I think that there was a reason why they tried to scare people with, you know, certain brain conditions mm-hmm. in cows. And I think that's that probably, from cows eating cows. Isn't that correct? I, Isn't that, yeah, I think so. I think so. I think so. I don't know. But I, I know. think that's that some lot. of those things, they actually circulate, not because it's a common problem that people who were eating brains were having this issue, but that there's a, there's an overarching agenda to a lot of the things that are talked down about, right? Because there is an agenda in keeping people sick. That you don't make any money in a hospital with well people. You just don't. Your model has to be for sick people, which is why we avoid doctors 
we, we have a good chiropractor. We have a good biological dentist and we haven't seen a doctor for anything but a broken bone and what in like a, a decade. <laughs> we have, like, there's not a reason for me to, to take my kids someplace that they really only want to diagnose something so they can make money. Your biological dentist. I'm interested in that. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess we'll have to cut ourselves off because yeah, there's, yeah. this could keep going. Uh, and I trust <laughs> y'all who are listening, keep going, keep going into researching what really matters to you and taking the most aligned action on it. And thank you, Aaron, for inspiring us to continue doing that. If people want to reach out to you, you gave me your email address, which we'll include in the show notes, but it's miss underscore meshki at hotmail.com. It is. MRS underscore M-E-S-C-H-K-E at hotmail.com. Yeah, because I'm just that old. And it's just way too <laughs> well, complicated. Pretty, no, it, I, I know we're not doing a video, but you could probably just hear it in her voice. You uh, are definitely healthy and thriving and it would be I would be I would guess most people would be shocked by your age yeah, just be, considering you okay go ahead I'll be 45 in in about a month yeah well I imagine you could you mentioned hiking around here I imagine you could out hike uh, most maybe maybe not all the 25 year olds in Boulder because this place is no, fit but yeah. in, in around the world yeah you put yeah you, you put that, a lot of professional it, athletes yeah, the in, the, in the decades below bubble. me so but you, uh, yeah, I have no, I have no doubt that you are thriving beyond, uh, way beyond the normal for that age. So, yeah, well, and, and, and I think that, um, a lot of the way that I feel right now has been changes I've made in the last really five to seven years of adding in, um, organ meats. That's been the biggest change to, to just flip from, um, you know, boneless, skinless chicken breasts to make my meals, to do meat on the bone, to take out all seed oils and vegetable oils and to make sure I'm adding in as much organ meat as we, as we can put in things without, you know, I want everything to taste good. Mm -hmm. I make an amazing chicken liver pate, but it's not just liver. It's, there's a bunch of other stuff in there. So. Well, I can actually, I, I just to maybe drive that home for someone else and say it out loud myself that I would say I would that very much resonates with myself as well. Two of the biggest changes that have made the biggest impact on my health seem to be reducing greatly the amount of anything, uh, any vegetable oils or seed oils. Yeah, and definitely increasing organ meat intake. And I definitely yeah. love doing it from the bison and the elk and yeah. uh, even other animals that or like my, the local farm membership that I have yeah. where I get the A2 raw milk. I know we didn't talk about like the A2, A1 yeah. thing, but yeah, it, but I just <laughs> listened to that podcast um, with the golden hoof and it was really great. <laughs> I, I have a farm that I like to go to, but I only get milk and eggs from them. Um, and I need to look into I need to look into them because that was a really great podcast to listen to. Yeah, that's a good one. Check it out. That was a recent one with Alice from the Golden Hoof. She's a she's a riot. Yeah, <laughs> that whole place is just like just a little fairy tale place. It's a, it's a cool place. I love it. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks so much for your time. And yeah, uh, yeah I guess you get to drive through some snow. It's, yeah. Uh, well, winter wonderland all of a sudden <laughs> popped up in the last few hours. All right. All thanks right. for having me. Yes. Yes. Talk to you. Peace.